Welcome to this MTech Access webinar. At MTech Access, we provide health economics and outcomes research and market access services from strategy through to implementation. Our unique NHS relationships guide and validate everything we do in the UK. We work with over 80 NHS associates to bring our pharmaceutical and medtech clients authentic insights into the NHS. We can help you answer key questions related to the NHS, from how to communicate with integrated care systems, places and primary care networks, to how to capture pathways of care. Get in touch today to discuss your market access goals. First though, I hope you enjoy the webinar. Hello everyone and welcome to this NHS Whispers session. Uh, I'm Phil Richardson and today uh, we have a really interesting session on innovating for better health. Uh, there's a great mix of audience, uh, industry, NHS um, and academia are all coming together to uh, focus on a conversation uh, on innovation. I particularly like to welcome our NHS associates who play a key role in what we do. Uh, and for those who don't know us well, MTech Access is a specialist uh, health economics outcomes and market access consultancy. Uh, we've got a really strong track record in delivering expert um, advice and support, um, particularly focusing on pharmaceutical and medtech clients. Um, we're also today working in collaboration with the NHS um, and uh, it's great to bring all those themes together as we focus specifically on research collaboration and innovation in the NHS. Um, I'm delighted to welcome our speaker, Bill Gillespie, his uh, chief exec for Wessex Health uh, Science Network. Um, and, uh, and Bill and I worked together uh, in the AHSN for a, a long time. So it's a pleasure to be able to bring um, uh, someone who, who I've got first-hand experience of uh, working with uh, in the AHSN uh, and it's brilliant that Bill is with us here today. So uh, welcome Bill, it's uh, great to have you here. Thank you Phil, great to be here. Fantastic, so uh, would you just please take a moment uh, um, and introduce yourself and explain a little bit about your role. Right, um, so a bit about myself first. So I've been Chief Executive at Wessex HSN since 2016. Um, so that's covered the period when uh, we have moved from AHSNs operating uh, very much as autonomous AHSNs uh, to working much more collaboratively to both support local and national priorities. Um, before that, I've had a pretty varied career in NHS management, working at in most parts of the system. So I've been a PCT chief executive in London and in Kent. Uh, I've been a director in a strategic health authority. I've been a director in an old fashioned district health authority. Um, and uh, at one stage, I, I was a civil servant in, in uh, when NHS um, in the days of regional offices and NHS England. So I've been through every sort of reconfiguration and change over the past 30 or so years that the NHS has been through. Wow, I, I, I mean, yeah. that's that's that, that's brilliant. So so you you you've seen the skeletons as well as know where they're hidden. Uh, and, uh, and and you've got some brilliant experience. So it's fantastic that you can uh, you're here with us today to and, and I'd love you to be able to draw on all those things, because I'm sure lots of people listening in um, understand innovation in its broader sense and understand uh, 
bringing uh, products and services to market, but but there's probably less less of an understanding of just how does the NHS work, what role does the AHSM play, um, and and obviously that's changing at a time where everybody's trying to understand. So there's a mix of trying to understand historically where things were and currently where things are. And 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 I just wonder if a starting point we'd start with, well, what is an AHSM? What does the organization do? How does yeah. it fit in the broader yeah. ecosystem? I think that might be helpful. So so our, our, we, we've got um, a number of key briefs. So, so one is to support innovators in all shapes and forms. That can be large companies, that can be SMEs, it can be um, clinical entrepreneurs, it can be patient carers who have an idea. So, you know, we, we are, are teams that focus on support for innovation and innovators um, see all forms of innovation. Um, we also have a brief around supporting the adoption of innovation, um, both at the, you know at, at all stages, through from working with researchers to to support early stage work, right through to beginning to test proofs of concept, pilots, right through to beginning to think about well, this is this has got market authorization, this is promising, how can we scale this? Alongside that we work hard to help the service learn about the adoption of innovation. Um, so we have an evaluation function, which both evaluates in terms of what are the what is the impact of the adoption of innovation, but how do we continuously learn about the process of adoption of innovation? And, and just to reiterate that, that's, the interesting thing about AHSNs is the way in which we work both at a local and regional level, but as 15 at a national level. So just, just to put some quantification on that, if you look at the impact of the 15 across England for the for, the, for our current licence period, um, that um, our stats show that over 2 million patients have accessed um, innovation through work that we've been involved in companies who report on our uh, economic growth survey annually say that we've supported uh, 1.3 billion pounds worth of growth uh, over 7000 innovations supported across the 15 um, and again companies reporting uh, five and a half thousand jobs either created or supported through the work that we do so that's an idea of the scale across the 15 working together Wow, that's fantastic. That that's a that that's a huge impact across quite a wide sphere. And I and I think I, I guess I would struggle to identify an organization that sits within the NHS ecosystem that that does reach out into the patient community, reaches out into the entrepreneur community, works with clinicians on the front line, works with academia, uh, and actually does it in a scientific way that that has rigor. So I, I think achieving those things. Trying to pull those different elements together is uh, is is pretty impressive, Bill. Frankly, and I and I've seen firsthand the how, how hard the teams work to do that. Well, one of the things I get asked though is is it, if that's the role of an AHSN, what's the role of an um, an AHSC? So there seems to be a centre as well as the network. Are they the same, or is there a difference? 
they're imagine a sort of Venn diagram. So, and and, and as you know, Phil, because and, and you were um, um, very helpfully involved, we've been in the process of establishing um, really an embryonic academic health science centre for Wessex, Wessex Health Partners. So, um, the way I would describe it is AHSCs, in our case, Wessex Health Partners have a responsibility um, to support and nurture the totality of the research and innovation ecosystem. So you know, they are responsible for doing research in all shapes and sizes that, that impacts on health. Um, and that's increasingly not just uh, clinical research, although that is clearly remains central. That can be research particularly relevant maybe to this medtech audience in data sciences, in engineering, in psychology, in social care. Um, um, and they have a broad responsibility for translation into impact. Um, and they have a responsibility for education as well and the quality of education. So if, if you look at the criteria that NHS England and IHR look, uh, look for in AHSCs, it's that end-to-end -end leadership around the research and innovation ecosystem. Within that ecosystem, um, regard, I, I would see HSNs as the leaders round direct support to, to innovators and in that process of translation into adoption in the system. Um, so so we're, we're part of that consortium. We don't do everything, but increasingly uh, we found, well, we've, we found when we did some work two or three years ago in Wessex, we found uh, I talked to people like you, to clinicians, to academics, and there was no line of sight from research right through to adoption. Everyone was doing terribly well in their bit of the system, um, but the system wasn't standing back and saying, how good are we uh, at every part of this and, in, and in ensuring that every part of this is joined up? to be to ensure that we're getting great innovation in the first place and then we're getting great in, innovation into um into the hands of clinicians and patients as fast as possible that sounds great i'd love to come in a minute come back to that because i think there is there's definitely questions uh, from the audience today about uh, access and where to start and who to go to uh, and what kind of questions to ask. But I'd, li I'd like to come back to that in a second. But, but what, what, what intrigues me is, um, ha having worked closely with you for uh, a long time, is your, is your philosophy around innovation. Because you, you don't seem to have that sort of fanciful notion that it's, yeah, it's, we're, the, the, a whole lot of things are going to be invented in garages, it's all going to come together and we're going to save the world. I, I think it's really good to get you know, you have a grounded, you have a, you have a more grounded view. You, obviously, you encourage that type of uh, innovation, but, but I, you know, I think it's good to share with people your, uh, your philosophy because it might help people just reorientate their thoughts around less around a product and much more uh, um, around how they think about it. Yeah, I, I'm happy to do that, and I, I just maybe to manage expectations. If um, I think people 
perhaps understandably are constantly seeking a blueprint or a holy grail round how do I do this there isn't one I think there's a there's a there's a there's a, an approach and a set of maybe principles and understanding that help and I can say a bit about that so so what, what I would say is is where we sit in the big system we we rub up against uh, policy and policy around life sciences and policy around the NHS and social care and policy around industry. So there's a policy bubble that we rub up against. We rub up against the service. Uh, and you, Phil, will know that, that you know, the service, which on a day-to-day -day basis is, is massively stretched, simply delivering day-to-day high-quality care. And we rub up against academics and research and the research culture, which is a you know different again. Um, and then we um, we we rub up against and work with the community of innovators, as I say, whether it's large companies, SMEs, and so on. And I guess what we we are trying to facilitate a much stronger interaction between those sectors in part because because out of that you know in the jargon out of that cognitive diversity you, you you're much more likely to get um an understanding of the needs um that that need addressed by innovation and of some you know some sparks between diverse perspectives that lead to innovation and in turn, you're much more likely to get a grounded understanding of some of the barriers and some of the some of the levers to support adoption. Um, and the, the other thing I'd say, kind of in a word, that around philosophy, particularly around innovation adoption, is think think very hard about capability that we are. What what is the capability that is that is the object of the innovation as opposed to just the technology itself and by that i mean doesn't matter whether it's a pill or a piece of med tech at the end of the day um there is an interaction with humans whether it's clinicians managers decision makers directors of finance the system or indeed patients or carers and the capability that enables full benefit from the med tech needs to be taken into account. There's well, if I could plug another podcast, another webcast, I'd strongly urge people to listen in on BBC Sounds to an interview that Jim Al-Khalili did uh, with Ken Gabriel on the Life Scientific some years ago. Ken Gabriel was the, um, at the time, he recounts this story where he was the uh, the chief exec of DARPA in the States, the Defence Advanced Projects Research Group. Uh, and they they were doing work on the stealth bomber, um, which of course was invisible. You know, that was his position. And he tells this story about where, where the military were trying to get the budget for this zeroed by Congress because their view of a better bomber was it was that it was going to be faster and more agile. So there's an interesting example of the military thinking, well, the cap you know, 
actually the technology is what we want is faster and more agile and an innovator coming in with something completely different. So it, it's an interesting, I think, one of probably one of the most starkest illustrations of some of the tensions that we face when we're trying to bring in particularly disruptive innovation into the service. Yeah, I, I, I think that's helpful. I think the, 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 the key thing I'm drawing from that is there is something around understanding the so what question. There's something about what's the difference you're trying to make. And, and uh, you know, I, I've similarly to you, have lots of people talk to me about the features of the thing, whatever it happens to be. But it's it's the translation into what, what impact it's going to have and why it's uh, it's appropriate to be part of a bigger solution or a replacement or, or something else. So I think I think the difference you're trying to make is quite an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, the, the, the other thing just to, to add to that, and I think you you felt this when we worked together too, is is when we talk to clinicians and colleagues in Wessex about what do they want from us, it tends not to be specifics. It tends to be, you know, what we like the space that you create that enables us to try things, to, to not be focusing on the day-to-day -day operational pressures. So, so there is something incredibly important in a highly stressed NHS for agencies that in collaboration with industry and in collaboration with clinicians and others say, you know what, it is really important to find the time to try things in a controlled way but without sometimes the suffocation of um right what's the metric for this going to be in three months because actually that doesn't in in the initial phases of development lead to strong part uh, your partnerships you need that space to be able to say let's look at this let's let's work together to test and let's do this in a, an environment where the partnership is strong enough with us between industry and clinicians or industry and ICS to to learn from as we go along in doing this. Yeah. And that's that, that's um, um, it's a difficult space to carve out, but it's a really important one. Have you got any examples where where you without breaking confidence of what the product was um, or the provider? Have you got a, an example? Where, where you can show, you can talk us through something, something that came into the uh, into the AHSN, looking at how you got some, uh, how how you support some element of adoption, and then looked at how you might might have scaled, or or at least the starting point of scale, just to bring it to life for people here. And some some are some are coming purely from a pharmaceutical point of view, so they're looking at it from a from a uh, from a molecule. Uh, viewpoint, so it may not be a technical one. So they're thinking, how do I engage with the changing landscape in the NHS? How do I become relevant in the new conversation, which is less about um, identified therapy area and much more about um, holistic patient care? Uh, and then there'll be some thinking uh, more particularly about an, uh, a medtech intervention, whether it's uh, a plaster at one end, CT scanner, or even a digital app. But I just wonder if there's some way you can bring yeah, it to life. Like well, the, I, I mean, there are some I can name because they're sort of public domain programs. Okay. Are those statistics that I sort of reeled off? And then there's one that I can give, which um, I can just sort of give the sort of look here's an archetype. So on, and, and so so one relates both to medtech and to pharma actually. So um, so Wessex 
uh, you know, one of the national products in the rapid uptake products over the past 18 months or so has been Pheno, you know, a diagnostic that supports supports the the accurate diagnosis of, of asthma. And, and you know, it's probably a familiar story in that the, the evidence base for, for the effectiveness uh, of Pheno is long established, um, but it, it has it took some time first to be adopted in secondary care, but then very little um, by way of adoption in primary care. And for the past two years, Wessex has been the lead HSN working with all the other HSNs to support the adoption of uh, Pheno in primary care. And as of the sort of January, um, we, you know, the market has grown. Um, so we're looking at over four, nearly 1,400 Pheno devices uh, being adopted within primary care um, and over half a million consumables. Um, and, 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 and so the other interesting thing is that's a market, that is a, a true market, it's not a single single vendor, it's a market in where, where we've been working with a number of companies in that space to support adoption. Um, uh, patients are benefiting. Um, um, we've, you know, what, what's worked? We've had really strong clinical leadership, um, coincidentally from within my patch, um, Dr. Tom Brown, respiratory physician at Portsmouth, and Dr. Andy Whittemore, uh, GP in Hampshire, who's also a clinical lead for the British Lung Foundation. Um, so incredibly important clinical leadership, fantastic patient engagement, you know, you know, Patients telling the story of how their lives has been, have been transformed by getting an accurate diagnosis and then getting on to the right medication is, is absolutely compelling. Um, but, you know, fantastic links into Health Education England. So, so the, electronic, the, the, the um, educational packages developed by Tom and Andy you know, the hundreds of hours we, we know from, from the website statistics of use of that. Um, and that's, um, that, that's connected to another theme that we might come on to. So, so in, in, in your old stomping ground, what we are now doing uh, beyond, beyond simply supporting adoption is to say, how can we take national policy work on secure data environments so joining up data across the health system how can we do that and take pheno as a use case in dorset and begin to federate various bits of data to understand the impact of that increase in adoption in a health system so the, the the sort of data that we're we're working with Dorset to join up is on pheno is things like pheno activity, uh, prescribing trends, medication adherence, emergency department attendances, emergency hospital admissions, speed of diagnosis, unscheduled primary care visits for asthma. So you can see, and, and Dorset saying, yeah, we we think we can join that up. So you can start to see an environment in which as we build secure data environments, you have the facility um, in some systems with advanced data skills 
to join up those data sets and be able to say to our system, look, this is the real world impact, not a clinical trial impact, the real world impact of adopting pheno at scale in primary care. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very optimistic about that. I think that's a huge benefit to systems. And I think if we invest in this and continue to develop it, it will be of huge benefit to industry too. Yeah, I think I think Bill, that's a fantastic example because the 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 essence of this was it was a it was a technology it was a science that was understood but hadn't been widely adopted. There were clearly solutions available, but I think what you've done is paint a really uh, rich picture around all of the key stakeholders in this. You've mentioned NHS England. You talk about big smaller patient groups. You've talked about clinicians in different settings of care, primary care, secondary care. You've talked about needing to work with the digital teams. You've talked about working with trusted environments. And I, I, I know you're working with Chris Kipps on the TRE bit. So you're working with an academic, in, academic input. So all of those things coming together, I think it's it's really helpful for everybody to understand the, that this really is an ecosystem of key and important players. Um, and I think we compare and contrast that to the traditional word, world of medicine, where it was a some key prescriber or some key opinion leaders and then some prescribing or uh, use type approach. This, this is you're painting a really different picture. And I think it's really helpful. That's been a great example, I think, too. And, and we'll share after the podcast, we'll, we'll share out the links to the um, the video you mentioned earlier, the example you mentioned earlier, and and to the Fino project because there's some really good work uh, done today. But I think that's a good case study to help people orientate around how to almost how to you need to be able to mimic this with with your partnership model, with your science model, with your clinical model. You need to be able to mimic this to engage effectively into the into innovation. That's my that's my takeaway. I think I think from that. So, so that was that is really good. If if I then um, come back to some of the the broader questions that sort of that come from that, you know, you see you hear some horror stories with med tech where uh, somebody's had a great idea, they believe they've fully tested it with everybody and everything, and it's the it's a great answer to a challenge in a therapy area or a broad therapy area, and then something like ten years later or fifteen years later or some massively long time. They're still trying to get access to somebody to do something with it. And then other stories, really positive stories, which is in a relatively short period of time, uh, there was traction happened and, and it was very quickly into play and it was in patients' hands and something was happening, notwithstanding the regulatory steps. But there, there's two sort of different stories. What, what's your perspective on how, uh, how, that, how that such a wide variation exists? And, and are there other things that, we, we, are there things we can maybe think about doing differently that might help that? Um, that's a good question. And, and, and to give people a bit of hope, because because we all know the horror stories, um, but pretty rapid market access can happen. So 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 another example, again, that you'll be familiar with from your Wessex days, you know, so S12 solutions. So this was a digital platform created by an approved mental health practitioner who in 2017 said, look, you know, my my process for securing S Section 12 doctors to support assessments of people who may need to be admitted to hospital is based on tatty bits of paper. 
um, and, and Amy Manning from S12 Solutions developed a digital platform that essentially digitized the whole process of creating people, doctors, when, when they were willing to be on call for um, Section 12 assessments, uh, the process of them making claims to be paid for being on assessment. So it, it basically digitized that whole process. Wessex supported her, my team supported her through our local health innovation program. We supported her um, and the company to go on the NHS Innovation Accelerator. S12 then became one of the one of only two innovation technology payment digital technologies. Um, I just checked the website, their website. There are now um, seven over seven and a half thousand approved mental health practitioners and S12 doctor, doctors and claims processors use their platform. It's in over 70% of trusts in England. And in 2021, the company was bought by Vital Hub for several million. So that was sort of like four years after starting. So, so now what's what's the so so that is about it's interesting, you know, who spotted who spotted the need? Actually, someone at the core face who said there's a problem here that really needs a solution. So it wasn't a sort of solution in search of a problem. <laughs> it was a, it was someone at the front line saying, this is a problem. So that's kind of the first lesson for, for anyone, which is test out that you haven't got a solution in search of a problem, that there is a genuine problem that is causing pain somewhere in the system. Um, then um, the other thing that we did with with Amy and the team was a real world evaluation in Hampshire. So you began to test, you know, you know, is is the value proposition? It's not it's not just you know it's important that actually we're getting assessors to access um, to to provide assessments, but actually there was a whole back end value proposition too, in that it saved money around claims processing, it, it improved governance, et cetera, et cetera. So there is something about trying to ensure you're, you're, you're working with the system to do a real world evaluation. Um, then the other thing that happens is, is particularly with AHSNs, you get that sort of Snow, snowball effect on something that's really promising where people say look this is a company that's willing to partner willing to learn it's a really promising innovation and and you know you start to get a critical mass of hsn supporting it as well yeah that, that's really good I, I, I think that's a great example i take what i love particularly about the s12 example is that the people that they needed to talk to to make the change were going to be adversely affected initially by the change that was being proposed because this was about a sequencing of s12 um, clinical availability which was following a different incentive pathway that this new one was proposing so i i think that i think it's a really good example of um overcoming quite a key stakeholder groups um it investment in how they currently worked because it was going to disrupt that whole process so yeah. so i think so some people often run up against um 
things take a lot of time, even with willing participants. But this was an example of a, a critical stakeholder group wasn't necessarily willing initially, anyway, to to engage. So I think I think that was good. So, but it is a good example of how things can get done. And that was a whole business life cycle, really, in four years. You've just talked us through. Yeah. Uh, so that is that is phenomenal. Uh, I mean, the the answer to my next question to you will be obviously ring bill. But what, what if I <laughs> if I then if I then sort of ask it to, for you to perhaps have a go at the uh, at the first is somebody's really interested in getting engaged. They want to work with innovation. They want to work with the NHS. They can see they can add some value. Even if we stick with just the AHSNs, where do you start? Where does somebody go? That was my phone bill. Obviously, was my answer. But you know, what, what, what? Well, what, what yeah. We so, so the, the, there is a. I mean, the the straight answer is, you know, um, speak to your local industry team within your local HSN is a starting point. Um, right. um Because actually, you know, um, you, you're local. Um, there's the chance of actually getting in, having a face-to-face -face meeting, even in these virtual times, where where it's possible to get you know much you know a different sort of conversation about opportunities and and to truly understand where the company's at in terms of the work it's done, the readiness level of the technology, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, um, the the other thing and and it, you know, AHSNs talk to each other. Um, so um, it's what, let me tell you what doesn't work. Sort of mass going out to 15 doesn't work. In fact, it's worse. You get an ab reaction because then the the industry needs to talk to each other and say, well, hang on, we've got the same company approaching 15. But what does work is, you know, we, we've had examples where it may be, um, uh, let me get you, you know, we've got um, absolute, you know, we've got major strengths in respiratory in terms of academic expertise and so on. It may so happen that in the particular quarter or six months year that we're, we're um, in, the respiratory academics and so on or clinical champions have got some capacity, but actually the system itself has got other priorities. Now that's where you can have AHSNs linking up and saying, okay, um, you know, you may get two or three AHSNs working together to say, okay, you've you've got an ICS where this is absolutely top priority, and we've got some academic expertise that wants to be part of this. Can we work together? So that can work. The other thing I'd say is if it's if the if the technology is very niche. Um, then do think about the NHS Innovation Service, which has just been established over the past year. Um, it's a national platform. Um, Wessex HSN and North East North Cumbria HSN between us, uh, we, we run the needs assessment service of that service. So that so the, the, the first bit of assessment uh, you know, a dialogue with a company about what their needs are is done by us. And the great thing about the innovation service is that is that is linking in to currently 25 support organisations across the UK. So 15 of those are AHSNs, but other bodies like NICE, like MHRA, like the Scottish Technology Group, 
and, and bits of NHS England itself, um, uh, like Transformation Directorate. And, and what that is leading to is a much greater understanding across those support organisations of the support that they can offer and a willingness to try as much as possible to join up that support so it's yeah so, so the company um, doesn't have to you know, basically be the, the 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 entity that joins up the system the system is trying to join up how it works now it, it ain't perfect yet but i would say um it's come a long way in the past 12 months yeah no thanks thanks bill that's re really helpful so my, my sense is that there are lots of front doors through different AHSNs, but come through just one door, and the 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 AHSN itself and the connections you've just talked about will 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 help the join up to stop people having to second guess everything and and certainly avoid talking to everybody about the same thing all at once. That feels like that would be unhelpful. Yeah, and 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 if it's particularly niche, or if you're 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 um um I I would suggest um NHS Innovation Service um and and you've got that automatic your automatic bit of triage around okay where might the best support be and an acknowledgement that that might not just be one bit of the system we might be yeah, sort of, of saying well you need to speak to Nice and you need to speak to someone else. Yeah, that, that's helpful. Do you do you do any um any training education and support for people to help them understand what innovation is so i understand the i think i've got the gist of the you know something coming to you but is there a bit which is when you've done the triage and said no you really haven't got an, no idea you really this doesn't fit with anything you'll need to go in and think about it do you then signpost or help or educate what what, what kind of role do you play there um I I don't see those that there, there are some there are some companies we see both in Wessex and in that innovation service where we're just saying look this isn't suitable and and that may be just about um the level of development that needs to be done you know that if you if you look at um if people look at the NHS innovation website or indeed our own company engagement questionnaire um, which is now standardised across the HSN, there's some basic information that we ask for um, that enables us to understand how much thought the company or the innovator has done. Mm. So that that's for two reasons. One, one so that we can consider that and prepare to get best value out of any face-to-face -face or virtual meeting. Also, there'll be some instances, and I haven't got the numbers, where actually um, if, if an innovator isn't able to put, you know, populate some of the most basic fields there, then they need to be going away and doing some further work. Right, got it. Okay. No, thank you. No, thank you. That's helpful. And well, well the, the other thing I'd say, Phil, is we have done um, we have done some work across the network, and what what we have seen is um, it's really uh, what seems to work is AHSNs working across all technology readiness levels. You know, you know, it, it might be tempting in some circumstances to say, right, we're only going to focus on near market. 
because that's where you convert it into economic growth and so on and you know hit the metrics uh, but actually the reality is um you need a balanced portfolio you you, you because a, a lot of this you you'll know some of the companies we've worked with where uh, essentially we've worked over a number of years with them and partnered with them as their technology has developed through early stage right through to you know class where uh, you know regulatory approval at one class and then they're going on to another um and and so we work across all trls okay yeah, no, that that is good to really to to know because I think there is, there is sometimes people who think I've got to have a completely finished answer, and now I need to try and sell it is the kind of mental model, and and I think you're you're describing a much more collaborative model to help help people get orientated, help people um, understand what's needed, help set the networking together. So that is my sentence. But, but if we just step back from it for a second, we, we work with a number of people who say, we don't necessarily want to innovate and produce a product ourselves at the moment. We'd like to work with hospital trusts or primary care networks or integrated care boards to help them on their innovation journey because we think we have a lot to offer in that space. So they're almost wanting to engage with systems and collaborate. Is that something that you, you see becoming, emerging or is would that be a relatively new thing in or, or if it if it doesn't um, exist yet could you see how it could work uh, no we we've um we've seen some of that in fact we've we've sort of brokered one or two of those partnerships um so so you you need um yeah it, it's a bit like being a marriage broker you need a sense of the company and the organization but for example we've we've brokered a relationship between one large med tech company uh, and one of our large providers that has subsisted over the past two and a bit years and that's that's less about technology you know per se and more about we're both in a very fast moving environment can we take a bit of time out as senior teams to understand each other's world, understand how a large med tech company is responding to a fast moving market, what it's doing with its staff to motivate them, to energize them, da da da, and respond to a moving market. And likewise for the med tech company to understand what does it feel like to be a, a medical director and a large provider or to trust, what are your priorities? So that's a sort of, it's almost sort of, cross-sectoral OD yeah. And, yeah. and my feedback from that has been it's been very positive and it kind of goes back to this point about cognitive diversity you know actually you know how do we how do we start to recognize each other as sort of partners as opposed to just suppliers and customers I think that's I think that's a really good way of framing it. So, certainly there are some perceptions around suppliers and customers that, that exist. There are some uh, conversations that don't happen, which I think could happen if people just thought more broadly. But, but if we if we take you know, if we take the mission statement of the NHS, we take the mission statement of industry, they're both saying we want to improve health for patients. So so we're all sitting with a common denominator. And, and I think sometimes the conversations forget that. 
and, and they get stuck on either internal KPIs or internal processes or product pipelines or the equivalent. And, and I think what, what you've described and certainly the experiences we've got right now is there, there is a wealth of talent that wants to sit around the same table to solve a similar problem with a similar purpose. And, you, and there is definitely, there is, there is I, I would build on your marriage guidance and I'd say there was life partner guidance. Not, yeah. not, not really just a, like we've got the right two together. It's how do we, how do we do through the full life cycle of relationships? Yeah. So, um, and, and obviously I'd, I'm keen, I would be keen to continue to work with you on, on that basis because I think there is a, there's a lot of opportunity for, for everybody can take part in that, it would be my view. If, if we have a look at some recent things, I just want to take you to policy now, uh, national policy, because uh, we've all had fun with that over, over the years. And then the very recent launch of the MedTech strategy um, that was, uh, has been in play uh, just a few weeks. Um, just really interested in any early thoughts you have on that. Uh, then I'm obviously happy to share, as, as you know, I give you my opinion on it too. But I think uh, it'd be good just to get any take if, you, if you've had a, any chance to reflect on it. Yeah, thanks, Phil. I saw, um, so I think, um, I think it's an interesting read. I think a lot of the diagnosis of the challenges and what needs to be done resonates. I can certainly understand the big emphasis on sort of supply chain resilience, given everything that we've faced over the past two or three years. Interestingly, even in that area, so some of the resonance comes back to specific work that we've been involved in. Um, if I take supply chain resilience, I, I think, uh, and we ought to be feeding this back into DHSC, so some of this is not just about the supply chain, some of the resilience is about how the NHS behaves. So, so for example, during historically, Wessex has always been very supportive of electronic repeat dispensing. In, in During COVID, that took on greater prominence, both because uh, electronic repeat dispensing took pressure off primary care, it supported social distancing, but it was also much, uh, much easier for the supply chain in terms of managing delivery of drugs. So that's an example where you know, the NHS is part of the solution to supply chain <laughs> resilience yes. as well as the supply chain. Um, another example is, so there's a lot of emphasis on have we, you know, have we got, got things right in terms of single use versus repeat use, um, you know, tech. Um, um, and again, you will know we've got um, in, in Southampton, considerable expertise in biofilms, considerable expertise, research expertise in continence products, and currently underway is a three-year randomised controlled trial on the non-inferiority of repeat use, um, intermittent use catheters. Um, so it will be interesting to see how that goes, but that offers a, a sort of opportunity for an innovation that yes it disrupts the market but every disruptor is also somebody else's opportunity um but it also you know hits nhs sustainability goals if that trial comes through and shows that actually there is non-inferiority so that resonates 
the other thing that resonates is 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 the emphasis on joining up data to support real world evaluation, which you know we've talked about earlier on in this discussion. The bit the bit I think is glossed over is implementation capacity. So yeah. it's it's referenced almost as a throwaway towards the end of the document. Uh, and I, I guess what I would say is everything that is in the strategy is great in terms of if it gets taken forward and adopted, but that in itself may not be sufficient. You know, if we go back to the phenol case study, you can have things with an amazing evidence base, um, yeah. but you still need change management capacity in you know in the system yeah. to support a highly stressed system to yeah. adopt to scale. Yes. Yeah. I no, It's. I think that's really interesting. And I, and I think the, the the other bit is the real world evidence isn't just about clinical data. Real world evidence. It's the it's the patient experience, it's the clinical experience, it's the multidisciplinary teams experience, it's the it's the setting of care um, experience, it's the overlay of the socio-economic local data, or it's the employment data, or it's so there's a whole load of layered information that needs to come together to say, you know, will will this solution where does the solution pull, plug into the overall solution that's currently in play? And what either what needs to change or adapt to 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 come across it. And I and I think uh, I quite like your OD view earlier, and I've certainly spent a huge amount of time in the space which says we've got to address things like language. The language isn't quite the same. And coming in with a good data set and saying, well, mine, mine definitely works, it often has been done in quite a controlled environment. And then you put it into the messiness of how things work. There, there is often uh, a different result. It's a bit like electric cars. 300 miles is the uh, is the mileage on this brand new something you might buy, but in the cold weather, when you've been driving sprightly, you've got 120 miles out of it. So the 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 data, real world data, is then very different to the to the laboratory based type data. But your 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 point though about coming coming in and uh, help helping make that work, it are, are there are there things you could are there are there pointers that you think, just your reflection on the strategy, you, you you would say to people who are thinking about, well, how do I then engage? Because there's lots of energy. There'll be people running around, both in industry and in the NHS, thinking, right, we need to do some of the medtech strategy. It's a new policy that's come out, and we've got a whole lot of things we have to follow. And somebody somewhere will have created a spreadsheet, spreadsheet with 100 things on it for compliance purposes. Is well, there a is there advice? Is what, what, what is the what's Yeah, your, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to maybe some of my colleagues will shoot me for as I sort of give this advice because what 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 it could end up with is a sort of queue of people knocking on various doors. But but um um within the next month or so, various parts of the NHS will be putting bids into NHS England for you know significant sums of money to support the development of secure data environments. So this this goes back to so don't know how much all the audience knows about this but this is about routine data not just research data so routine health and care data 
and ultimately citizen health data as well around health and, and could be public health data. You know, how do we create an environment within which people who are, are supporting research or real world evaluation can go into a secure environment with all the proper governance controls and, and use that data to understand impact, research, etc. Um, so there is something about understanding wherever you're based in the country um, what's happening in terms of secure data environments in your patch and, and where they might be headed. Now, the reason I'm slightly tentative about this is there's still early days. But if I give an example from Wessex, you know, what what of of the the use cases in Wessex that we are doing work on are, are one phenol, um, two is joining up uh, routine cancer data with genomic data to identify whether there are you know second in line treatments uh, for particular patients. Uh, and the third use case is around uh, pre um, um, data um, in the community before someone's admitted to critical care. So all the ambulance data and so on, because all the evidence shows um, that actually there's a lot of rich data there that isn't joined up that could inform pathways of care. Now, I, I think anyone in medtech should be thinking particularly if you've got a technology where the cost of the technology may sit in one part of the system but the benefit sits elsewhere and therefore you need to join up the data across the system to help make the case um, if that's the case then you might want to be talking to your secure data environment leads in the nhs to say look is this something that is of interest uh, yeah, yeah that, that sounds great. So that just that that really just brings that's a great summary of over at NetTech because I think it just brings it all to light, which says actually what we're trying to do is bring the data together around the technology and around the patient, as I mentioned earlier. So and I think that's a that's a good way of doing it. We're, we're, we're getting close to the end of the time, which has just flown by. But I want to I wanted to come back to philosophy and uh, insight, really. And just to get your your views on what's the next big thing? What's the next big thing in innovation in in health? What 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 should what, what should we all be thinking about or looking at or looking out for? What, what, what do you think it is? Um, I yeah, I I'm. I guess increasingly we see certainly software as a medical device. So it's not the next big thing. It's kind of arrived, yeah. arriving. So things okay. like yeah. closed loop monitoring um, around you know, type 1 diabetes is already here and, and showing enormous benefit to patients and carers. So I think um, software as a medical device in a pathway that empowers patients and carers but also enables you know um appropriate escalation where it needs to be within a pathway it feels like a very fertile area um i think the other area going back to secure data environments um where people have technologies understanding the particular relevance to particular populations 
in terms of this comes back to inequalities whether it's of inequalities of access or outcomes understanding that there may be a particular line of approach which is about addressing inequalities that enhances the um, the ability to partner with the nhs yeah fantastic so the next big thing is already here and um, we should really be but but you know i think it's already here in in embryo i think right who knows what it'll be 10 years from now how that yeah. will look it feels really important yeah no i completely i completely see that and i'm really glad that you didn't go down the chat gpt answer which says you know we need to put it all into an ai engine because uh, i think we would all got quite distracted by that yeah. but, but the, the software the software enablement bit i think is 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 really critical and that and that for me is not just about apps. That's not an apps necessarily an app solution, because you can have it embedded quite deeply into pathways, into uh, procedures, into automation. So there's a whole load of things that sit be sit behind that. So I think I, I think that was good. Um, Bill, we're out of time. It's been fantastic as usual. I uh, I've never spent an hour with you that's ever felt like an hour. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure today to talk to you about uh, innovation of broad sense, get your perspectives. It's been fantastic to listen to your answers and there's been lots of pragmatic things. Um, we, we, we'll pick out some of the things you recommended we looked at and we'll share those with the uh, with the audience. And then there's a couple of questions we didn't get time for today. So uh, offline you and I, if that's okay, we'll just have a go at answering some of those questions to make sure everybody gets uh, everybody gets an answer. But I just want to Thank you very much. Thank our audience for joining today and sticking with us. And um, uh, and I just want to leave uh, with a, I'm very excited about this whole space. And I, and I think all of us working together can make it work. And you've given some great examples of that. So thank you for today. Okay, thanks, Phil. It's been a pleasure speaking to you again. Yeah. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, thanks, Phil. All right, bye, everyone. Thank you for watching. If you'd like to find out more about our work with the NHS or how we could support your market access goals, please email info at mtechaccess.co.uk or visit our website at mtechaccess.co.uk.